Hello, and welcome to the Aaron Evans Podcast. This podcast is devoted to people who want to love, listen, and live a little better. I'll be sharing my musings as a life coach, a mother, a yogi, an entrepreneur. And I'll be interviewing some of the most inspiring people that I know that are leaving the world a little better than how they found it. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you want to stay in touch, you can follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Evans. Buckle up and thank you for tuning in. When I met my next guest, I was new to yoga. And I remember I walked in the yoga lounge and it smelled like Nang Chapa. And the most beautiful girl was at the front of the class. And literally one class in, I was like, I want to do what this woman is doing. She is fabulous. Since then, I've had the good fortune of working with her, practicing with her, climbing with her, hiking with her. She is a dear friend. Uh, I highly respect her as a mother. And yeah, I'm just so honored to have you. Lydia Zamorano, welcome. Thank you. I'm also so happy to be here. I've been wanting to get on a podcast with you since you started this really exciting project. And um, I'm always excited to see all the new things that you're dipping your fingers into. Uh, and Lids, tell, tell our listeners what makes you tick. Okay. <clears throat> well, I lately, because it's always changing, I guess, I've been really into trying new things and... Um, as a way to keep myself feeling excited and, um, you know, keep my brain plastic. And like, for me, my yoga practice has turned from something that I did. I used to do the same practice all the time, like a preset sequence. And now what's really exciting me in my practice and in my life is, is continually trying new things and exploring new things. And right now that's definitely making me tick. Nice. And when did you fall into love with yoga? Okay. I, I started yoga practice maybe when I was 19. I'm 40 now. And I was, I was actually in Golden, BC, taking an adventure tourism course and thought I wanted to be a climbing guide at the time. And so I was rock climbing and snowboarding a lot and then I took a yoga class in in a basement of this library this old old library in Golden and was doing it you know as many people come to the practice for finding relief for my sore muscles and finding a little bit of cross training and then of course I fell into Shavasana and thought wow there's only been one time I ever felt that relaxed before and that was when one of my high school gym teachers led us through almost like a yoga nidra and it was like the second time that i had that experience of being that spacious and relaxed and then from then on i was hooked so i bought every book you know and that was before yoga was even trendy that was um so you know like many of us who started i started with light on yoga bks Iyengar. David Swenson's Ashtanga flip book and I was just obsessed and I would just I just taught myself the practice from books because 
this teacher that was teaching in the basement of this library only did weekly classes and there was only one style he'd do is a beautiful Hatha class and he was an Indian man. I think his name was Dr. Mystery, actually. But yeah, from then on, I was a daily practitioner. And I'd have to say that it feels like I've been a daily practitioner, you know, since that time. There was always something in my world and in my day that was the practice of yoga. Mm. Do you think that you had trouble finding relaxation as a child? For sure. I grew up, um, you know, my parents were, they did their best. They had their own issues and there was a fair amount of, you know, sympathetic nervous system in the house. So I feel like that, you know, through mirror neurons or however it is that kids mimic and learn, I definitely was hyper vigilant a lot of my childhood. So I think like that experience of actually resting was pretty foreign to me at that time. And I've been, you know, chasing it ever since. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, preach. And how does, you do so many things and you do so many things well, the, the climbing and the yoga practice and skiing and hiking and running and parenting, how do they all parallel one another? Okay, good question. Well, I think my first, you know, experience of starting to drop into presence really was when I moved to the mountains when I was around 18, yeah, maybe late 18, 19. And I had never been in mountains before. So I found, you know, simply hiking in the mountains by myself or <clears throat> finding some of these individual sports that I could find my flow. It wasn't a team sport. It wasn't competitive or comparative and that's how I found my my flow state so at that time I feel like I was still in a bit of a perfectionist mode with myself and kind of fighting myself a lot and I used a lot of the mountain practices that I was doing to I over efforted a lot and it was part of my journey on on finding relaxation I almost had to over effort at that time to drop into relaxation and but anyways that was you know that was my first experience of presence really I think too not that I hadn't had it before but it was a profound experience to start doing things by myself in the mountains and in in a landscape of natural beauty and that kind of led me to the yoga and then I continued on that path so I guess what I'm trying to say is I still do a lot of those things. In fact, a lot of them have come back in full force for me where I took time off at, you know, really pushing myself physically when I became a mother seven years ago, eight years ago, if you count pregnancy. And now I'm getting that energy back, but I used to do it out of a place of, I think, self-loathing, like I needed to get better. And then I was touching into that presence and it was you know, all tied in. And now I feel like I can do those things um, and they enhance my life and they build my energy. So maybe I went on a bit of a tangent there, but I don't know if it's relative. I think that's how I approached the yoga practice in the beginning too. And I know this talk is really going to lead towards perfectionism, which is a huge topic in my life right now and has been for so long. But the way that I'm doing things now has changed so much. And even parenting, you know, I've been parenting for 
seven years now, seven and a half years now, and that's changed so much. I have so much less expectation um, of myself and everybody else around me, and it's just really a beautiful journey. Mm -hmm. um, and the practice has really helped me along the way for all of those things. Mm -hmm. You mentioned so many beautiful things. <laughs> One thing that stands out is this idea of the, the hypervigilance, mm -hmm. uh, almost as a protection mode. And when we're operating from pushing and striving, it's more of adrenaline and push mm -hmm. and burnout, whereas sounds like now you've moved into a place that's dopamine and endorphins mm -hmm. and, and real true presence. But I love how you said it. I had to push mm -hmm. before I could be. Mm -hmm. When did you realize that you were a perfectionist? Oh, wow. I think I might have been like seven or eight. I mean, between like seven and nine that time, I recognized that I was really affected by what people said to me. And I started to compare myself to other people. And sort of this, I started to have this idea in my head of what I needed to be. And it wasn't who I was. And that happened really early on. I like clearly remember a few of the things that pushed, you know, pushed me over the edge into that way of thinking. And so, of course, presence, touching into presence, touching into the present moment has been really healing for me. And that's why I slowly started to take on all these activities and, uh, you know, lifestyle um, changes that helped me touch into that presence. But then I would still use them to beat myself up for a long time. And, you know, I, I have to admit that I still sometimes <laughs> treat myself like a punching bag, but it's so much less than it used mm. to be. And I've just come such a long way. And I do feel like there's this, you know, one of my teachers says, and I, this is always in my mind with yoga, is that you come to yoga or you come to whatever it is, your pursuit, your path, thinking that it's gonna make you better it's like a self-improvement game you know but then after you do it for a really long time and maybe this is the gift of age but you recognize that the practice actually allows you to be more of who you are and that always sticks in with mm. me and that is, is you know so true for me oh like we're not mm. practicing because we're broken yeah we're practicing because we want to be free and mm -hmm. we want to be more Lydia more Erin and if we were the same the world would be very boring right People. And that, right, and then also like that we are free. We just like have to touch into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that idea. And I think freedom, while bound to a physical body, time, children, responsibilities, mm -hmm. there's still play. And mm -hmm. you're such a proponent of play. And mm -hmm. I'm curious, how, how has play played into perfectionism mm -hmm. and, and easing the grip of that? Right, that's a huge component, actually. Um, so... There's nothing wrong with any system of yoga. I just want to say that first and foremost. And for me, I would, you know, used to practice at set series and not only one. So I studied Ashtanga Vinyasa for years pretty diligently and went through, you know, the series as they are. And then I studied another style called Vijnana Yoga and did that for another seven years. Um... And now, so play is so huge in, for me because the, the difference for me when I'm playful in my yoga practice is that I have less expectation. 
I'm actually playing around with things. It's an exploration. And I feel like for a long time in my yoga practice and studying yoga so intensely and having, you know, all doing all these teacher trainings and, and kind of becoming a connoisseur of yoga, you know, there were all these ways to do things that were correct. Mm. And taking that away, um, now I teach more from a trauma-informed lens. So for the last five, you know, four, five years, I've been diving into that a lot more. And it's been really freeing for me because it's actually helped me uh, release expectations, play around with things, um, change my language so that, you know, it's a really open container for people. They can choose a little more. And this is an interesting topic because when I was first introduced to that style of practice, I didn't like it at all. It was almost annoying because I was like so used to being told what to do and turning my brain off in a way, which I think can be really therapeutic. And it's like there's different levels of truth, right? So when I started, I started doing things a certain way and it was a stepping stone that was really important for me to move to my next level of mm -hmm. truth and for everyone that's different. But the playfulness has really taken like a load off, you know, mm -hmm. and brought so much more enjoyment and exploration and curiosity and wonder into my practices. And that's like the feedback that I get from people too, is that um, it's joyful. It's like there's so much joy and movement and being in a body and it doesn't have to go anywhere mm -hmm. or be anything. Um, and it's voluntary, you know, you choose that you can't play, you can't um, be forced to play. Mm -hmm. So that voluntary piece is really important. So now it's like I get on my mat and I choose how I want to move. And I think a lot of that is like knowing yourself. So I think it can take, take years of foundation to get to a place where you know yourself enough to know what you need. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really useful for sometimes teachers to be like, this is what you need. Like that is so helpful and you can let go into that. And maybe it's not a surrender, but it's like emerging and it's supportive. Mm -hmm. And um, right now I'm in a place where like, I kind of know what I need. And that feels really, um, that feels like a right place for me right now. Mm -hmm. I love, it's almost like there were little sparks of uh, curiosity that in different lineages that woke something up inside of you. And it's been so fun to watch mm. your transition because you are one of the most advanced practitioners I've ever met. I know you, you probably don't like talking about it. I've never seen anyone move their body like you. You're so modest. And the other piece of it that blows my mind is you're not attached to it and, and obsessed with it. There's so much more to you than just an asana practice. I've met great yoga teachers and I have asked them, oh, you're in the Bow Valley, are you going to ski? And they said, no, my practice is too advanced. I, I, I can't do that because I could get injured. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, I want to believe that I could be many things. Mm -hmm. What has it been like to be married to a professional climber and traveling? You lived in a van for a while. Mm -hmm. How has that changed the perception of play and perfectionism? Right. Um... Well, it's definitely kept things fresh for us, which I was just mentioning is something that I really am looking for in my life. And so one thing that works for my partner and I is that we have always had a similar vision. And so we've had an easy time, you know, being in relationship with each other, which has been really a blessing. 
we got lucky and because we really have you know we just have had a similar vision which has really helped us along uh, but it's interesting as I like as you're saying that I'm starting to get more tired of moving around a lot and I'm kind of wanting that novelty like in the same place but it has been it has kept things really fresh and we have done you know when we look back on it we've just done so much together so I guess maybe that you know talking about it now maybe that's informed my practice where the benefits of learning a lot and being constantly you know on to my environment and to setting up my family in the right way maybe that's actually informed my practice because it you know through that time of us traveling a lot together I think we were in like six countries with Tatum before he was two then when Mesa was born we lived in a van and a trailer for a year which of course we lived in some other accommodations too but we traveled for a whole year and since COVID is actually COVID is what's actually slowed us down mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a wild ride. I wouldn't change anything. And as my kids are getting older, I'm feeling like I don't need to travel as much anymore and I'm excited to find that novelty in the same place mm. at some point, you know, because I think we can one of the gifts of yoga is that you can find novelty in your own body every day. You know, it's totally fascinating and there's never a dull moment and I truly believe like you can you don't need you know I love travel but you don't need to travel and I think we're learning that more in in this pandemic as well yeah something that I loved when I first fell in love with you and you had a blog before anyone else had blogs that was Mm -hmm. 20 some years ago I met this beautiful pixie and you had written a blog post first of all you were teaching people how to handstand press nobody was doing that and then the second thing was you were practicing second series in a in a place that was really cold. So you would turn your oven on and open your oven because for those of you listening, Kapotasana comes like pretty early on after the standing work. And it's this deep back bend from your knees where you catch your ankles. And so I remember reading that and thinking, oh my God, I'm so privileged. Like I practice in a warm room that smells good with a flat floor. And then later on, when you were traveling in the mm-hmm. van, I would see you practicing on grass. And I was like, I would never practice. How would I jump through and back on grass? And I, and I think it like really to the, to the onlooker, to mm-hmm. the student of you, it almost let go of my strong attachment to lighting the candle and mm-hmm. setting the stage and this concept of being more alive in our lives. Mm-hmm. And our, and our practice is exactly that. Your yeah. fingers, yeah. For sure. Yeah, just letting go, you know, not needing so much, you know. Oh. Isn't that it? Yeah. <laughs> not grasping, you know, it, all the time. Totally. Working with what you got. There's, and falling in love with what you got. Oh, mm-hmm. there's a joke and it's, how many Ashtanga yogis does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> one, but they have to do five A's and five B's first. You know what? I can find myself in that pattern, but much like you, I have moved away since mm-hmm. COVID from such a rigid practice and I've actually invited new loves in, which has been awesome. What is the greatest lesson that you want to impart on Tate and Mesa? 
um, you know, love. You know, it's, you know, I don't even have to teach them that. They, they already know it. But if we can keep touching into that as a family, like I'm so blessed because they're both really, I mean, maybe all children are, but they're just so loving and tender with the world. And so I feel like they're actually the ones that are giving me that lesson as, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that, that shell that we put over ourselves that I've had for so long. I think I had that in my childhood too. It's a little bit of a protection, you know, and being around kids, it, it, it can break it down a lot. And so if, if I can keep it, keep that protective shell, for sure it can be useful if you need it. But to, but when it becomes a habit, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. if we can keep that from becoming a habit, but we can call upon it when we need it, you know, yeah, nothing wrong with it. It's just that. It's just getting stuck, you know, in, in certain ways of being. And I think a lot of our topic is, like, getting stuck in ways of being. And I don't want to get stuck. I mm-hmm. want to get unstuck and need less and have less uh, solid of ideas of how the world should be or how I should be or how other people around me should be. What do you think are, are some of the things that people, that keep people in patterns of perfectionism? What do you think promotes perfectionism? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually. So I'm glad you asked that question. But I read somewhere recently that nature, you know, does well with diversity. Like it's it's meant to be diverse. And so I think when I was young, something that encouraged my perfectionism, even though we had way less media bombardment then, you know, there was still an idea of how things should be that fit the mold. And, you know, my family and, you know, my family didn't fit the mold when I was a kid. So I think I, in a way, I had a lot of pain of like being that person that was a bit, you know, different. And then I started to get this idea that that wasn't right. But I think now we're starting to learn as a collective that actually, and I have to admit that I'm still deconstructing that within myself, but that diversity is actually life-giving and um, it's so important to recognize. And perfection is, is moving away from diversity, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's moving towards something that is this ideal of, it's an absolute tyranny, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still battle with it a little, but, you know, I have to keep reminding myself how important it is to celebrate things that are not the same in our children. And, you know, if they have, you know, I'm learning that a lot right now because my son has a different learning style, let's say. Um, and he's absolutely brilliant, but seeing the brilliance and actually like celebrating those, um, and then somehow it takes away fear and fear and perfectionism are really linked and like acceptance of diversity and celebrating diversity, like is really linked to love. So, you know, I think it's just, 
I think like if we can go inside of ourselves and figure out what that ideal that we think is and then start to break it down and this is the work of the world right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. love that you say that fear. Mm-hmm. And and what's so interesting is you have not chosen a path traveled by most. And you would think that when you were young and your family was different, you then would get uh, a husband and you would get a real job and you would be secure, but you kind of went the opposite mm-hmm. way and you're like, no, I'm different and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think fear is is what makes me want to shut down. It makes me want to cloak my heart. It makes me want to protect my son. Mm -hmm. It makes me want to change him so he fits in the world. And when I feel myself do that, I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. he is is wildly unique and that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Who is your biggest inspiration? Honestly, uh, my biggest inspirations are are like my kids and my husband, like people that are really close to me. You for how you embrace trying new things and like your work ethic. I love working with you, and you know, my husband has this incredible big picture view. Uh, it really balances my like day-to-day exploration (laughs) so I feel like I'm really lucky like I and my my son is the kindest person I've ever met and my daughter has like the best sense of humor I've ever met wherever she goes she's like sprinkling pixie dust it's crazy so I just I feel like I'm really lucky I feel like you know honestly in the last while I do have people like out there in the big world that I follow on social media that give me a lot of juice and I'm inspired by but I think like when it takes me to really know someone to be inspired by them because mm-hmm. there's a you know there's the outer there's an appearance that some people give off but like do I really am I really inspired by them you know oh. and uh these people I'm really inspired by let's say oh like through and through mm-hmm. you know uh so I'm lucky with that you know, Jude Daniels, which you've had oh. on the podcast, she's another person that I'm deeply, deeply inspired by. Yeah, me too. Um, she's an Indigenous woman here in town who is one of the first female Indigenous lawyers, I think, in Canada. Her, just her, uh, what she's been through and her strength is really inspiring. And then I have people, like, on the outside, like, let's, okay, Carrie Owerko, who, she, I'm super inspired by her. She's a proponent of play in yoga so if you don't follow her check her out she's really cool and she's also I don't know how old she is but she's been practicing for a long time I'd say she's been practicing for 30 35 years maybe and so used to come from a really strict background of Iyengar which I also studied and uh and now is is just all play and so if you're interested in a practice uh of playfulness follow me of course <laughs> But also check out Carrie. <laughs> She's awesome. And then I'm really inspired by the trauma-informed lens for teaching yoga. And so one of my friends, Nikki Mosley, has been one of my mentors for that. And I'm, I'm super inspired by her. And then I'm trying to broaden also, like, uh, my scope of, like, what I take in to have it more diverse. And somebody who's really inspiring for me is a woman named... Um, 
Adrian Marie Brown, and she writes pleasure activism, and she she's all about pleasure as you know healing, mm. and so that all ties into my journey too. Yeah, is because I uh, I also suffered from an eating disorder when I was young, which really ties into this whole perfectionism and this ideal and this um, fear. And uh, that we're talking about in reading her work, like allowing yourself to feel pleasure when you're stuck in thinking you need to be better, you know, mm-hmm. it's pretty profound work. So yeah, those are That's, my inspirations now. <laughs> I love that. Uh, my dad one time said, you know, everyone wears a veneer and it looks a little different. Their hair is a different color. Their body's a little different. But you meet them, and underneath of that, most people are always the same. And then he was talking about a friend of mine. He's like, but she is different. She's different. I can tell she's different. And I love that because that's what I see in you is like there is something different about you. Where where are you headed in the next few years? Like what's your vision for Lydia? Um, I've just really been enjoying sharing yoga online, actually. And I know... I, I'd been doing it before the pandemic for four or five years, or four years maybe, but um, I'm like, um, I just actually love getting the practice to people in their home and, you know, the feedback that I've got from it. So I'm really, I'm really jazzed on teaching online yoga still, even after our world, you know, finds its new normal and also being in person with people. Um... And I'm, I'm really excited about, I'm, I'm excited about yoga. <laughs> like, I'm excited about continuing to share playful practices and then also practices that really support your movement happiness. And that's maybe my forte is kind of slow flow, not too intense, but really accessible practices that just nourish the F out of you, you know, like what you really need like as a self-love practice which I think actually and I just want to catch myself there because I think you can do a really strong practice and it can be your self-love practice but I think you know what I'm into these days is a little more mellow a little more subtle a little more like noticing and slowing down Mm -hmm. because that's what I need I think we also we 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 teach what we need to learn. Yeah. I've heard people say, it's so cliche, but it's so true. Mm-hmm. We are the teachers that we never had. Mm-hmm. And I often think about little five-year-old Aaron, same mm-hmm. thing. I, I didn't really fit into the world. Mm-hmm. I felt uneasy. And so mm-hmm. a way to moderate it was movement, movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, find a skill and learn that skill. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give your, let's say, 30-year-old self? Oh, <laughs> my 30-year-old self. Okay, 30 was... <clears throat> I really wanted to be a mom at 30. I remember that. And I was... Yeah, maybe... Uh, you don't need to rush into things, you know? <laughs> Although, I love that about myself, that I, like, pick something and I'm like, I'm going for it, you know? It's a positive thing, but then also just having, like, 
I often think about like having one foot in something and one foot out. So like you have one foot in, you're going to go for this thing, but then you also realize that it might not work out. So like having this, you know, I'm constantly working on having this big picture vision. Don't rush it, go for it, but you know, don't rush it. I love it. (laughs) Space for change, space for growth. Yeah. And what do you believe is your growing edge? Hmm. Uh, right now, it's always changing, you know. Right now, I'm pushing myself a little more physically again, but not in my practice, which has been interesting. I'm like uh, rock climbing in a way that I used to when I was in my mid-20s and when I took it really seriously. I used to be a pretty avid rock climber. And now I'm pushing myself like to 110% in rock climbing and for in my yoga practice for for years I always thought I'm going to go at 70%, you know, so I have a little bit of reserves left and I don't feel depleted because I want my practice to give me energy and keep me in that zone. But that's just one way of thinking, you know. So now I'm like exploring going for it, but not out of like I have to be better more out of like, what's going to happen if I go that hard? Like what is on the other side? So that's been really freeing actually. And I'm, I'm also like just so surprised that I'm as strong as I ever was now at 40, which is just kind of blowing my mind. And, um, not that it matters, but it's just, it's just this whole exploration of our, what we think we can do, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's been really neat for me. And, Oh, it's just always constantly teaching me that you can think one way is the way. And then, you know, you're, it, it's going to change. Yeah. I loved that one time you said to me, uh, maybe I had a strong opinion about something. And you, in the sweetest way, said, you know, often when you have a strong opinion about something, it will change shortly. And I think it did. What is your favorite quote? Uh... Stay together, learn the flowers, go light. Beautiful. Any parting words? Words of wisdom? Mm, Do you have any for me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, for everybody out there that's listening, thank you for listening. And... I hope to see you online for, for practice. If you'd like to explore yoga practice with me. I teach a lot online and there's on demand and live classes and then we can get in the flow together and explore some of these topics. And if you relate, I would love to hear from you. So Aaron can probably pop my contact in the show notes and let's keep exploring. Yeah, I love it. Well, it was eye opening for me. So thank you so much, Lydia, for your time. I know you're busy and yeah, like you sparked a lot in my heart. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, Lydia is one of my all-time favorites. She always challenges me to see my blind spots, to challenge status quo, and to stay current. If you want to connect with Lids or practice with her, I will leave her information in the show notes. As always, if you liked what you heard, be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast. I love you, and we rise together.